priest take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you and you will become their booty? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you. Because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people labor to feed the fire and the nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink, and you also drink, sorry, and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and utter shame will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of beasts which make them afraid because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it, the molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols? Woe to him who says to, the, to wood, awake, to silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Amen. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm Jacob. I'm the ministry apprentice here at Grace. Uh, I'm the guy with the big beard, which doesn't really work as a descriptor if you've got a face mask on, but the descriptor Don went with. Um, we're continuing our series in Habakkuk this morning, um, but why don't I pray just to start? Father God, we give thanks as we gather here this morning. We give thanks as we open up your word, your glorious word that you have given to us. Father, I pray that through me you will speak your wisdom to us all, and you will open up our hearts and our minds to you, Lord. I pray these words in your son's precious name. Amen. I want you to think about a celebrity, a sportsman, someone that you really liked, perhaps a musician whose band you'd always want to see, the movies you'd always want to go and watch, as soon as they came out, who all of a sudden had a fall from grace. They were cancelled. Maybe they were caught up in a drug scandal, a sex scandal, anything. Maybe a recent example is Kevin Spacey, Famous actor, he was Netflix's show on House of Cards. And in it, he continued to commit atrocity after atrocity until he finally seized presidency. And then he had to continue committing such atrocities to keep them power.
But in real life, as they were filming the sixth and final season of House of Cards, a man came forward and accused him of sexual assault, prompting many others to come forward with similar stories or similar encounters. I want you to keep that in mind as we think about the past catching up with you. In our series in Habakkuk, we're tracing Habakkuk's journey from doubt to faith. He was struggling with the big question that many of us struggle with when we go through seasons of doubt. Does God care? Is God fair? Is God there? And so far, we've seen Habakkuk's first question, which was prompted by the violence and injustice among the people of Judah. Habakkuk saw this and wondered why God wasn't doing anything about it. Did God even notice? Did God even care? And God answered Habakkuk, as we saw in chapter one, by saying, yes, he did notice. He did care, and he was going to do something about it. He was going to send the Babylonians to judge the people of Judah for their sin. So that's Habakkuk's first, answer, uh, first question answered, but it immediately raised a second question. And isn't that always the way? One why always leads to another. The Babylonians were worse than the people of Judah. So how could God use those who were more wicked to judge those who were less wicked? How is that fair? And God answered Habakkuk a second time, explaining that Babylon would also be judged by their sin, for their sins, but all in God's timing. Meaning, meanwhile, the righteous will live by faith, trusting God to act justly in his own time. Last week, we saw God, that God made a general promise that he would judge Babylon. This week, the passage gets more specific as God highlights Babylon's specific sins and his corresponding judgments for each of those sins. But even more importantly, this passage highlights the various ways in life that people seek to advance themselves, often to their own ruin. If you ever wanted to know how to lose it all, this is the passage for you. If you saw a, if you saw a book with the title, How to Lose It All, you, would you buy it? Well, you might, but not because you want to lose it all, but actually because you want to learn to read it and actually find out how not to lose it all by seeing the opposite example. So we get to see in Habakkuk this morning about how to lose it all so we can learn not what to do. So what's going on in this passage? God's raised up the Babylonians to bring judgment to the surrounding nations for their sins. However, Babylon was not motivated by concern for God or justice. Babylon was motivated purely by greed. We read last week in Habakkuk 2 verse 5, because he is greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and take captives all the peoples. The Babylonians were driven by greed. They weren't thinking about God at all. They conquered the surrounding nations in order to build an empire for themselves. The Babylonians thought that they'd have, they would have it all, but they were about to lose it all. God would judge the nation of Babylon for their all-consuming greed. The coming judgment is described in great detail in our passage this morning. Verse 6 begins, Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying? And then what follows is called a taunt song. That is a song or a poem designed to mock or scorn another. In this particular song, Babylon is the one being mocked by the very, na by the very nations it conquered. And although this song is obviously directed against Babylon, Babylon is never even mentioned by name. The words are generalized in such a way that this song could apply to anyone who acts in the way Babylon acted. So how do we lose it all? Well, it's easy, just follow man's way. Follow man's way instead of God's way. 
And man's way is summed up by Jesus with these words in Matthew 10, 26. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? Man's way is very simple. Gain whatever you can, however you can. Man's way is a way of selfishness and greed. Man's way is to gain the world but to lose your soul. We are going to look first at man's way as described in this passage, and then we will look at God's way at the end of the message. The taunt song in this chapter is made up of five different woes. Each woe follows a pattern. It identifies a specific sin, then pronounces God's judgment upon that sin. Babylon's greed manifests itself in five different ways. In theft, in injustice, in violence, exploitation, and idolatry. But to what profit? The irony of the song is that those who practice these things may think that they are gaining wealth, gaining security, power, pleasure, and guidance, when in reality, they will lose all that they'd hoped to gain. So let's take a closer look at each of these five woes in our passages this morning, uh, starting at verse 6. Uh, so first, Habakkuk first, chapter 2, verse 6. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. The sin here is identified as stealing from others to gain wealth for yourself. Stealing and theft are as old as the human race. The very first sin involved stealing. Adam and Eve took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stealing is such a serious sin that God made it part of the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal. And when we think about stealing, we often think maybe of one of three things. Somebody breaking into somebody's house, having your phone or wallet nicked, or perhaps robbing a bank. And I hope most of us have never done any of those. Um, if you have, please chat to me afterwards. Um, but we may have stolen in other ways. You might, we can steal from employers by padding our expenses reports a little, going for that slightly nicer cup of coffee. We can, uh, by taking things home from the office, by messing about on the job and wasting time, by leaving early or arriving late, calling in sick when actually we're well, by shortchanging customers, by overpricing goods or services. You can steal from insurance companies by making slightly misleading statements. Maybe you weren't entirely honest on your taxes. Maybe you're a student and actually that bit of homework you just handed in was a little bit plagiarized. Stealing is a much bigger problem than breaking into houses and robbing banks. We are guilty of stealing any time we take something that is not rightfully ours. So why do we do it? Why do we steal? Well, we steal because we believe we will gain an advantage by stealing. We steal from others to gain wealth for ourselves, but stealing is wrong because we do harm to our neighbor whenever we take something that does not belong to us. So what is God's judgment for when you steal? Appropriately, you will lose all that you have taken. You will lose rather than gain. Look at verses 7 to 8. And God says, Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Babylon had plundered many nations. Now the nations would plunder Babylon in return. The Babylonians would lose everything because they had stolen from others. Jeremiah 17.11 says, like, like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by justice. In the midst of his days they will leave him, and at his end he will be a fool. 
We may think that we gain some type of advantage when we steal, but we never do. Adam and Eve thought they would become like God from eating from the tree. Instead, they fell into sin and judgment. We need to realize that you never gain any advantage by stealing. Proverbs 10 verse 2 says, Ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. When you steal from others to gain wealth for yourself, God says you will lose all that you have taken. So that is the first woe. So let's, move, let's look on to the second woe found in verses 9 to 11. And this deals with the sin of injustice. Look at verse 9, if you would, with me. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. The sin here is identified as treating others unjustly to gain security for yourself. The phrase to set his nest on high is a picture of an eagle making a nest high and secure in the cliffs, safe from trouble and harm. Babylon had committed gross, gross injustices in order to set their nest on high. They'd conquered cities, they'd exiled the people to foreign lands, they'd subjugated them to forced labor. They plundered their wealth, all in order to build their own walls high and to make their own cities secure. And this is a temptation for us all. We all long to be secure, and we're often tempted to treat others unfairly in order to strengthen our own position. But we must remember that God is just, and he pronounces a woe upon all that would act unjustly. And so what is God's judgment when you practice unjust, being unjust? You will forfeit your life. You will lose the security you thought you had gained, or you would gain. Look at verse 10 to 11, and God says, you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. The picture here is of the person who has built his household by treating others unjustly. Everything he, or he has gained was gained through unjust means. This brings shame upon his house. The whole house cries out his testimony against him the stonework and the woodwork. He had hoped to gain safety and security in life, but instead God tells him his life is forfeit. In Jeremiah 22, verses 13 to 17, um, so verse 13 and verse 17 says, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him, give him his wages. And then verse 17, but you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gains and for shedding innocent blood and for practicing oppression and violence. It's a lie and a deception to think that you can attain any type of security by means of injustice. When you treat others unjustly to gain security for yourself, God says that you forfeit your life. You lose the very security that you'd hoped to gain. So, so far we've seen theft and injustice, and now let's look at the third woe, which can be found in verses 12 to 14. And this third woe uh, deals with the sin of violence. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. The sin here is identified as hurting others in, in order to gain power for yourself. Once again, this is exactly what Babylon did in their conquests. They had a reputation for cruelty and violence they committed unconsolable crimes against the nations they attacked. And what was the purpose in the, of all this violence? Well, they were greedy for power. They didn't care who they hurt as long as they built their empire. And you may think, um, well, I'm not a violent person. 
Surely these verses don't apply to me. And you may not be a violent person, but we can still all be tempted to hurt people in other ways in order to increase our own power. Maybe you're in school. We may not physically hurt the others, but we might say something that's quite damaging. Maybe to their reputation, to strengthen our position in a peer group. It can happen at work. We climb our way to the, up to that promotion by stepping on the backs of others. It can happen at home. The sharp word said from a husband to a wife in order to gain power for themselves. Anytime you hurt another person in order to increase your own power in that relationship, you have committed a sin of violence against that person. And so what is God's judgment when, seek, when you seek to gain power through violence? All your efforts will come to nothing. Look at verse 13 to 14. God says, Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor merely by fire, and nations worry themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God is the only one with real power in this world. And he has determined that all your effort at grabbing power for yourself will prove useless in the end. All your labors are only fuel to the fire. Instead of increasing power for yourself, you're only increasing your judgment. Your labors will not only provide fuel to the fire of God's judgment, they'll be all burned up and destroyed themselves. You will lose it all. I think verse 13 captures the perfect futility of the nations in this world as they jostle and scramble for power and command. Peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. All that effort wasted in the mad dash of supremacy and control. The Babylonians thought they were building a world empire that would last forever. It didn't even last a hundred years. Empires come and empires go, but God remains forever. And you may just be grabbing, be just grabbing for a little empire of your own, at school, at work, or at home. But it doesn't matter whether you're grabbing for the whole world or just part of it. The principle remains the same. God owns it all. And you exhaust yourself for nothing when you grab power for yourself because the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God is sovereign. God owns it all. The whole earth will be filled with his glory. When you hurt others to gain power for yourself, God says all your efforts will come to nothing. And then moving on to verse 15, and se 15 to 17, we see this fourth woe that is accused to the Babylonians and also to many others. And it deals with the sin of exploitation. Look at verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. The sin here is identified as taking advantage of others in order to gain pleasure for yourself. The specific example is given that of getting someone drunk so that you can take sexual advantage of them. And sadly, this still takes, to, takes place today, whether through alcohol or uh, date rape drugs. People take advantage of others or other ways of exploiting others for your own pleasure, including pornography. Of course, exploitation doesn't have to be sexual. Gambling casinos take advantage of poor people's hopes in order to line their own pockets. Drug dealers take advantage of people's addictions in order to benefit themselves. So what is God's judgment for those who exploit others in order to increase your own? Well, it says, you will be filled with shame and disgrace. Look at verses 16 and 17. 
You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come round to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. God says you will expose others for your own pleasure. Now it's your turn. You will be exposed. You used your power to take advantage of others. Now it's your turn. Judgment is coming. And all your glory will be covered with disgrace. You treated others violently. Your violence will return on you and overwhelm you. When you take advantage of others to gain pleasure for yourself, God says you will be filled with shame and disgrace. So we've looked at the first four woes and then the fifth and final woe in verses 18 to 20, and it deals with the sin of idolatry. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. Habakkuk 2 verse 19. The sin here is identified as trusting something other than God to direct your life. Habakkuk has addressed the issue of idolatry several times in the book. In 111, he called the Babylonians guilty men whose own strength is their God. In 116, he said that Babylon sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. The Babylonians were idolaters who trusted in their own strength and skill rather than trusting God. Idolatry doesn't have to mean bowing down to a statue. Anytime you trust something other than God to direct your life, you are committing the sin of idolatry. And so what is God's judgment when you trust something or anything other than him to guide or direct your life? Well, you'll be deceived and disappointed. Verse 18, what profits is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. An idol has no value. It cannot speak, it cannot guide you. It is a false god that only teaches lies. Those who trust in idols are deceived and will be ultimately disappointed. But verse 20 provides contrast to the lifeless idols. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. It is a beautiful verse that speaks of God's awesome majesty and holiness as God stands above the clamor of the nations and apart from sinful man. It provides a fitting end to this entire section as those who rely on theft, injustice, violence, exploitation of others and idolatry are told to hush, are told to shut it, to keep silence before Lord. God is in his temple. He is holy. Cease all your endless strivings for greater wealth, security, power, and pleasure. Be silent before him. Turn away from your worthless idols and bow before the Lord in heaven, who alone can fill your deepest longings and satisfy your soul. So that's man's way. Man's way to gain the whole world and lose your soul. So what about God's way? Well, God's way is to lose your life for Christ in order that you may find it. Use your life for him and God will restore your soul. You lose your life for Christ by serving God instead of serving others, and by, instead of serving yourself. So how do you serve God instead of self? Well, let's look at the contrast between, man's, between God's way and man's way. 
thinking of the first of theft, you serve God instead of, instead of self by giving rather than stealing. Ephesians 4.28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And injustice, you serve God instead of self by practicing integrity instead of injustice. Remember the Babylonians thought that by practicing injustice, that would bring them security. But how do you get security? By practicing integrity. Proverbs 10 verse 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. And what about violence? Will you serve God instead of self by acting with compassion rather than violence? Philippians 2, um, from 1 to 3, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, doing nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility consider others better than yourself. You use compassion instead of violence. And instead of exploiting, you serve God by serving. And we read Jesus' words in Matthew 20. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And then finally, you serve God instead of yourself by worshipping the living God rather than idols. We read in 1 Thessalonians 1, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So you worship God instead of idols. I want you to think back to that uh, first image I got you to imagine of Kevin Spacey. And the day after the first sexual assault victim came forward about Kevin Spacey, he was fired from the House of Cards production and his career was left in tatters. I think he's had maybe about three acting credits in the time. So you want to know what it looks like when someone's behavior catches up with him? Look at his job, look at his career since the news broke. We often refer to it as a person's past catching up with them. Whether it happens in this life, this life or the next, our past will catch up with us. And Habakkuk wondered if God would judge the Babylonians for their sin. He wondered if God is fair. Here in chapter two, God shares with Habakkuk the various judgments that would fall on the Babylonians for their sins. And every giant judgment lines up exactly with the sin committed. God is completely fair. God is completely just. Babylon would lose it all because Babylon was seeking to build an empire for itself rather than seeking to serve God. The specific sins of the people of Babylon are not unique to them. We are all just as guilty or at least have a tendency towards them and there will be judgment for us too, just as there was for the Babylonians. But it's not a hopeless case for us. So what do we do about it? Well, Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? It's Matthew 16. The people of this world clamor and strive for wealth, security, power, and pleasure. They trust in idols of their own making rather than God. But God says, the labor is only fuel for the fire. Fuel for the fire. They exhaust themselves for nothing. The Lord is, his holy, is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So let us turn to God in everything. 
Uh, I'd like to invite the band up um, and as I pray to close, and then we will uh, close in worship. Father God, we give thanks as we look at and as we continue in this series of Habakkuk. Father, we pray as we see the woes uh, and the judgments given out to the Babylonians. Father, we pray that we would see this as an example of how to lose it all and we would know not now what not to do. This bad example from the Babylonians, how to serve you, Lord, to serve and to sh show compassion and love, to not bow down to idols, to not become to violence. So, Father, I pray as we go from this place this week that this would sit on our hearts. And then if we start this Sunday of Advent, this first Sunday in Advent, Lord, we remember that sacrifice and that child that came to save us from this. So it's not a hopeless case for us, Lord, that your son came to give his life on that cross as a ransom for many. Remind us of that this week, Lord. Amen.
why don't we close with these words? And as Hugh was talking about at the start, the storms in our life that may be throwing us off kilter, may be tugging on our hearts, and just the reminder of the Lord's peace that he can give to us in this. Why don't we hear these words from 2 John 3. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Amen. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We'd love for you to hang about for a tea and coffee, which is just out the back and to the right in the cafe. As Dom mentioned, there is the student lunch afterwards at the manse. There is the DECA service this evening at Central Baptist at 6.30. And if you're a student, there is also a student service at 6 p.m. at Blend Coffee Lounge this evening. And I really hope I've remembered everything. Um, so if I've not, someone will tell me. If you would like to know anything about the student lunch or service, come and grab me at the end. Thank you.